Welcome to The Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we talk about the Great British Bake Off. Uh, We're up to Series 5, Episode 2, Biscuit Week. The signature challenge is essentially, it's savory biscuits, right? Which is essentially crackers. And they do specify that there are digestives, which are crumbly. Yeah. And then there are like the water cracker types that are supposed to be, they're supposed to snap and firm. Um, I'm always a sucker for for savory biscuit or like cracker weeks. I I love cracker. Like when I was watching this episode, I actually called to JP to go bring me some crackers and cheese. Yeah, it made me want to eat crackers and cheese too. They all do really well on the aesthetic they part do. of things. Except Diana, I would say. I would say everyone except yes. Diana made really great looking crackers. Hers resemble some kind of like puff pastry rather than yes. a cracker. They look like Spanakopita is what I would have said. Yeah. It was a little strange. I don't even know how she did that. And uh, But I, I don't know. Like when I saw them, I was open to the idea that they would be delicious. But then I, the judges were only so-so on them. I was surprised the judges didn't go in harder on her, actually, because during, in the narration, they said that she did not use a traditional biscuit dough and that she had used pastry. So she had done, like, pastry triangles. And then the only thing they really faulted her on was that they were different colors on each side. Like, one side was underbaked, uh, and it was because the other side baked too quickly, and so she pulled them out. But I, I was surprised that, like, they, they didn't chastise her for, like, not following the brief. Yeah. The brief also was that it had to be a savory biscuit that would go well with cheese. And mm-hmm. so Martha makes a sandwich cookie, or a sandwich biscuits, savory sandwich biscuit, caramelized onion and goat, goat cheese sandwich biscuits. And I guess those also come with their own cheese. But for Diana's, I sort of can't imagine eating those, like using them as a vehicle for cheese. So to me, that's also a little bit of like not quite meeting the brief. That's a good point. Norman, I feel like, was very literal with the ghost ghost with cheese. Uh, His were completely plain yeah flour butter and lard three ingredients that's how he made his his biscuits um and they come out super well like they're mm-hmm. i didn't i did not realize until they made a joke about the end but the reason he called them farthing biscuits is because that's how much that type of biscuit used to cost yeah <laughs> like it's just it's just a totally basic cracker but the, you know and, and he says at the beginning if you're gonna do something simple it has to be perfect and and then it is paul gives him a handshake they're so good um, and then I love in the, in the talking head, he says that his wife thought they weren't good enough. Yeah. He said, um, she'll have to eat her words now and the biscuits. <laughs> I love, I do love Norman. I also, anytime someone says they're baking, usually, um, these are really simple. And because they're really simple, they have to be perfect. Then they usually end up sort of falling flat on their face mm-hmm. and, and Norman doesn't. So I was sort of dreading it, but then he did well. I like, too, that we learned uh, that he knows how to semaphore. (laughs) And also that he, like, broke his arm in such a manner that it can never fully straighten again. There was just, there was so much character in, like, 30 seconds of scene. I know. I think it was, Sue gave him a hard time about two of his letters looking exact, kind of the same. And he was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that, he was like, well, I broke my arm and it doesn't go straight anymore. What more do you want from me? They used to dock me marks for that in the royal military whatever the crap he was in also at 15 whatever military he was in at age 15 my granddad signed up early for the second world war lied about his age Mm. he wanted to be a pilot and he could not be a pilot because he had crappy vision like thankfully for us all because 
didn't have great survival rates. Mm. Anyway, moving on. Um, Nancy also has charming biscuits and a charming approach. Um, she tries her Ryan fennel biscuits out at home where she felt they had a perfect amount of fennel, but she says her fennel was out of date. <laughs> so she, she doesn't actually know if these ones are going to be too fennelly now. I thought that was a very useful tip actually to think about. Like I, I know that, that uh, spices lose their taste over time, but I haven't thought about... Like, I've never seen fennel that vividly colored before. Yeah. You know, when they pointed out that the one that the show provided was so green and, like, the buds were so large, and I was just like, I've actually never seen fennel that fresh in my life. <laughs> like, by the time it gets to the grocery store, it's all, like, crumbly and gray, right? Even when you're buying it new. But hers work out, and her husband makes her another um, device to torture her biscuits. This one's for stabbing them. Yeah, uh, Sue calls it like a biscuit Iron Maiden, I think is what she yeah. calls it. They show it right after Martha explains that the reason you poke it is to, um, so that it, they don't puff up as much and then you get a, a nicer shape. Your least favorite baker, Jordan, makes a sourdough chili cheese biscuit um, and he has a sourdough yeast he loves that he calls Yorick that he uses to make them. Yeah, he says Yorick has given him more than most people. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a hell of a thing to say on TV about your sourdough starter. Isn't he, doesn't he have like a girlfriend at home or something? He does. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh well. I think by and large they did very well. And also their, bis- their biscuits were extremely different. Like they were really different shapes and textures. And like, like I was thinking it would be really hard to judge them against each other because... They did so well sort of on their own terms, by and large, you know? Yeah. Um, Richard had a rosemary seeded cracker that looked really tasty to me. And I think he said his father or father-in-law, like, he's a real cheese eater. So he's practicing (laughs) making crackers for them. But um, I think the, the ones that I most wanted to eat were maybe Richard's and Nancy's, but then also Luis's which is interesting Lewis's because he he makes black olive and rosemary biscuits with caramelized onion glaze so I don't actually even like olives but I love the idea of the caramelized onion glaze on the biscuit and I think it would go so well with cheese and so and and they they loved Lewis's so the judges I mean they did but they said that they were just just a tiny bit underbaked like three minutes from perfection is what Paul said um, I was actually drawn to Chetna's uh, because it was like a family recipe and the spices sounded so amazing. Um, yeah. It was fenugreek and carom seed. And, you know, she said like she said that her her mom, yeah, her mom always had a box of them in the house. And it was like the minute a box got finished, a new one appeared. Something that has that kind of legacy in a family, I feel like is always delicious. And then also Martha's I really liked because... Martha's, like, biscuit execution looked more appealing with the goat cheese sandwich in the middle than Louis. When I see a sandwich biscuit, I'm kind of thinking the ones with, the, like, the jam window. Yeah. I'm thinking sweet. That's that's the only thing. It's, like, um, ground cherries. Because they're called cherries and because it, we think of them as a fruit, I don't like them because they're very tart when you get them in your mouth. Mm. And you don't live in the, like, fruit part of my brain. But I've been promised a fruit. I get that, but I think once I had a mouthful of goat cheese, like it would overwrite mm. everything. Fair enough. 
Oh, what I was really disappointed about. So Ian makes the tar and fig biscuits with oats. Um, Mary doesn't think the flavors work well together, which confuses me. I don't see how Zatar, but maybe he just had too much Zatar in there. But it's sort of, that is a bit of a bummer because that flavor combination I would, I would gravitate towards. It sounded like he had too much Zatar and also that he kind of didn't know how to use it. Like the impression I got of the episode is he was kind of just dumping it in there without like a lot, Uh, like not, he wasn't using it thoughtfully, I guess. Yeah, it can be, again, if it was fresh, it can be pretty, like, strong. (laughs) Yeah, that could have been the same issue, right? It's just that the show is providing him with, like, a fresher, higher quality one than he's used to. (laughs) I made uh, bagels semi-recently, and some of them had everything bagel seasoning. I got it there online from a store, uh, both both of these seasonings, and then some of them had za'atar, and they were both delicious, but... Yeah, in a bagel context, you do kind of want, because it's just on the top, you want that kind of, like, burst of flavor to come through. Mm -hmm. But the za'atar, yeah, being fresh was quite, quite strong tasting, as is the everything bagel. Like, very garlicky in that hit of, like, flaky salt. But anyway, Mm. I was really curious about Kate's, which are Parmesan and apple biscuits, and she does, like, a super slice, super thin slice of apple on top. Mm. I had high hopes for those, and then apparently they were not... They were only, like, mediocre and didn't have a good enough snap. They they looked really good. Like, aesthetically, she did a great job. Uh, I think the thin apple looked great. It looked really appealing. But apparently, despite all of her effort in this area, it was still a little soggy. Like, still a little bit too much apple juice running through for it to mm. be a cracker. But, yeah, on the whole, I feel like, gen- in general, they did extremely well, except Diana. And, like, they looked great, and they looked really professional. They did all look great. They yeah. did. They looked like they could have come out of a box, you know. Like they looked. They looked that professional and uniform. I don't actually really bake crackers that often. I have baked crackers, but um, but people don't really bake crackers that often. And there is a massive difference between home baked crackers and crackers you buy in a box. Like they're so much better. And so I feel like people should maybe bake more crackers. I have never baked crackers. Um, I do think there's a difference between the crackers you get in the cracker aisle at the grocery store and the crackers you get in the deli. (laughs) They keep keep the weird fancy crackers in the deli and those do tend to be much better and more interesting and resemble the ones on in this episode a little bit more. Head to the deli, spend $12 on a box of crackers. I remember being introduced to deli crackers, like being at someone else's house and them serving crackers and cheese and me being like, what is this? Yeah. Where do you Where get these those come from? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you know, 12 feet over in the same grocery store. Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah, I'm going to be in Vancouver later this month, and um, I'm going to go ogle everything in the Whole Foods. I'm not going to lie. I'm mm. going to go ogle all the fancy stuff. And I'm probably going to buy some of the fancy stuff in the Whole Foods and then eat it. All the overpriced fancy stuff that comes from the deli section. <laughs> I think we're in year two of our like total Amazon ban, which includes Mm. Whole Foods, sadly. There are so many delicious things you can only get at Whole Foods and I miss them. But this is what this is the life we have chosen. No, I mean it's 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 easier in Seattle than it would be other places. Like there are more competitors that are similar uh here than I think in a lot of places. But yeah, like there were specific um like specifically meat and cheese makers that like brands that like oh, yeah. that sold that distributed through Whole Foods that I missed. I was like, 
Oh, you remember the Olympic foods, like Manchego cheese? Like that's. Oh my god, I couldn't Manchego. They did not have any Manchego at the grocery store the other day. Mm. <laughs> oh god, we're ho- we're. This is someone's gonna listen to this and just be like, these people are hopelessly ridiculous. <laughs> just it's it's what I live for, right? I know. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got, we got Gruyere instead. Will texted me and I was just like, just get a couple boxes of Gruyere. Not boxes, packages, rectangles. I know you, so I know you don't like brie to begin with, um, but I recently bought a really bad uh, truffle brie um, where it, it did not taste like truffle. It just tasted like something's wrong with this brie. <laughs> Is how it, yeah. it was like this brie has a funk that brie does not usually, but it did not taste like truffles and it did not taste good. I would kind of assume that it would have had like kind of like a bodily excretion type funk, which means <laughs> it also kind of looked like that too. Like it was like oh, way no. softer than a brie usually is, and the oh. and the way the the truffle was like distributed through it did kind of look like it was like moldy or diseased or something like it was it was both it was aesthetically an unpleasant cheese and then it tasted bad and I was really disappointed and it was really expensive too it was like you know like 10 bucks for this like very skinny wedge oh yeah but I paid nine dollars and 44 cents for like a pinner rectangle of Gruyere because everything's a little bit fucked here grocery wise Mm. which like you can't I don't know can't complain Exactly. So we've had a lot of climate-induced disaster. Anyway, yes. let's move on to the technical challenge. For, oh, God. It's going to derail this whole thing. So their technical challenge this week is to make 18 Florentines, which um, I personally feel like a Florentine is a bit too close to a twill um, in, I don't know, life. So anyway, they oh, get really? an hour and a quarter. I think they're to, so yeah. different. <sighs> they're the same... They're kind of like almost like an almost flourless cookie that's very high fat, high sugar content that's like a lacy. And I don't, that's, those are not things I enjoy. So when it, when I learned it was a Florentine or remembered it was a Florentine, I was like, oh my God, I love Florentines. I think they're nothing like Twiels. Like Twiels are like nothing. Like they're like a garnish, you know, they don't, they're sort of not even there. They just like kind of dress something up. But Florentines are like, they're delicious. They're like a thin, whispery, lacy cookie made like entirely of caramel with like nuts and fruit and then like dipped in chocolate. Like they're like one of my favorite like Christmas treats, actually. Like I feel like I mainly used to eat them at uh, my mother-in-law's house. And, you know, I haven't seen her in years now, right, because of the pandemic. And yeah, and I, I have that association with that. Like there was always like Florentines out at her house. I, mm. I, I love them. I To me, they're like categorized completely differently than Tweels. Yeah, I guess I'm just not a huge fan. The next time you go to her house for Christmas, will you? Would you like consider asking her to make sure they're Florentines or does? That... <laughs> there, there. I know there will be. <laughs> like okay. she doesn't make them. There, she buys them store bought. Um, but they're like in her rotation of like things she buys for Christmas. And... Basically, I'll eat one once it's there, but then I eat it and then I remember why I don't really like it. If that makes sense. I'm so surprised. I feel like it's so many things I think of you liking, like nuts and fruit yeah. and chocolate and caramel. Yeah, I like soft caramel usually rather mm. than like a like a crunchy one. It's really clear to that 
that Mary loves the this kind of thing because she kind of crunches her way through the. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my favorite part of the challenge. Actually, it was just like listening to Mary Berry crunch through cookies that she enjoyed. You know, I once again felt like they all did pretty well by and large. Yeah. Like like the the opening half of the segment is all of them talking about how they've never made it before or like they've never made certain aspects of it you know chenna said like she's never made caramel for from golden syrup and they all had trouble like doling out the mixture into the right amounts and is this too much or too little there's no baking time indicated and they are all sort of freaking about that freaking out about that like lewis takes it out and puts it back Mm -hmm. kate is the first to pull and she's still like oh god i think they're overdone it like seems very stressful yeah and okay and then they all don't know how to decorate right like when it says the trademark zigzag design there's like a big you know debate is like is it the fork do you use a fork do you drizzle do you use a piping bag um and the correct answer is the fork but then all told i feel like even though you know people had small issues with like decoration or size or christmas or crispness or inconsistency like on the whole they look really good like on the whole it just looks like a table full of florentines you know that i that i would happily like eat my way across like just like mary i would love to like go crunching through yeah the biggest faux pas is that Enwezer takes, a, he stamps his out because he's, I don't know, he's stamp happy from the first challenge, essentially. <laughs> so he cuts off the laciness at the edges, which deeply disappoints Mary Berry. His is the most frustrating because he did everything right and then like accidentally self-sabotaged at the last second, yeah. you know, whereas everybody else's, their mistakes were like more fundamental. And so it's. I don't know. In a way, that seems like more understandable. Like, I would be most mad at myself if I were him. The addition of the golden syrup actually actually helps the bakers because it's an invert sugar. It keeps your caramel from uh, crystallizing. No one just lets their caramel bubble in this one, which, like, if you're making caramel caramel, you, you can't stir it after a certain point. But it's not a big of a deal, as big of a deal when you have the golden hmm. syrup in there. Anyway, whatever. I enjoy soft caramel. I've been thinking about making carnation milk caramel. So I have all this, I have some leftover condensed milk. I um, made pumpkin spice syrup recently, like a couple of batches oh. of it. Uh, and it uses condensed milk uh, is why I was thinking about that. And oh. you are sort of forming like a saucy, thick, te- like you make a simple syrup first and then you add like sweet condensed milk and pumpkin oh. spice and pumpkin and you're kind of getting it to this like thick, saucy consistency. It's based on the Starbucks pumpkin spice syrup that has pumpkin and condensed milk in it. Uh, Interesting. It tasted really good, but the pumpkin is textural in a way that. Oh. I, I think maybe I should strain it or something in the future. Like, there's yeah. something about pumpkin in your, like, actual pumpkin in your coffee noticeably that I don't yeah. love. I didn't realize that was part of the Starbucks recipe. Um, yeah, it has real pumpkin in it. I was surprised too. Yeah, I thought it was just a spice blend part, but oh. But anyway, alrighty. So Ian comes in eleventh. I can't actually even remember why they're overbaked. S- too small. small. Yeah, uh, Norman in tenth and Wizard in ninth. A uh, bunch of people in the middle. Lewis in third. Nancy in second. Richard comes in first with his little cute little. Uh, 
pencil stuck over his ear. I love Richard. Richard is the, the only one that JP remembers from the season. Like, he hasn't mm. been watching with me, but he'll, like, walk by and he'll be like, oh, it's the season with the builder. I like everybody except for one person on this season. And we'll see how I feel as the season goes on. If it's Diana, you've mentioned that already. Oh, <laughs> You mentioned it in episode one. No. <laughs> oh, rude of me. I'm trying to give her a second chance as I rewatch. I don't remember disliking Jordan on my first watch, but I definitely dislike oh. him this uh, this time around. Yeah. All right, we should go to Andrea's baking corner. Yes, we should. So I made crackers this time around. Um, but I didn't make any crackers that anyone made on the show. Like, Chetna rolls hers out individually, and most of the other folks stamp theirs, other than Diana, I guess. So what I did was I made almost like a, kind of like a biscotti style. So it was like a twice-baked. So bake things in loaf tins, and then slice, and then rebake after laying them out flat on a, on a baking sheet. And um, what I did was a, a dupe recipe of those, I think they're called Raincoast Crisps or something mm. like that. They come in boxes here and it, it costs like an arm and a leg. And I haven't eaten them in years because obviously they have gluten in them and there's no like gluten-free version of them. So they were a rosemary, pecan, raisin kind of thing. There are some other nuts and seeds in there. And... Uh, I made 72, I think, in total. <laughs> a lot of crackers. I know. You describing it as biscotti style helps me a lot with the pictures. Like, I feel like mm. I did not totally understand what I was looking at until you said that. So you had to buy these tiny pans new, right? Like, was yeah. this the first time you used them? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I got little loaf pans specifically for this bake, thinking that I would probably make these crackers again. And I probably will make them, like, a couple times a year. Is this specifically what they're for? Like, what are the other uses of tiny loaf pans? That's a good question. These are a weird in-between size because it, they wouldn't exactly be like a single serving of something, but they're not, they're tiny at the same time. Like, so yeah, I don't fully know what people use them for. I um, didn't know this was a methodology for crackers, actually. Like, like I know that biscotti is made like this um like you know it's twice break shortbread and that this like loaf and slice and rebake like that this is one way people make biscotti um but I had no idea I never thought about using this method for anything else kind of yeah it was handy although when it came to the slicing part well first of all I did not I think if I was like on the show I would have measured everything and made sure that every single loaf print uh, loaf pan had like precisely the same amount of batter in it, mm. which I didn't do. And so all the little loaves were had slight variations, which like I don't really care about at home. Um, and they all baked, you know, they all baked fine anyway. Oh, and then I was also worried about getting the slices kind of accurate. And for a second, I thought about so you bang them in the freezer for a while, like maybe for. 40 minutes to partially freeze them after they fully come to room temperature and then that lets you slice them more easily. Makes sense. Yeah, I think baking too like softens all the nuts and stuff so that you can slice through them because that was the other thing I was worried about. It's like how am I going to slice through like a whole pecan if I 
I don't know, isn't it going to crumble and pull out of the cookie? But uh, biscuit, but for the most part, it didn't. How do you know when it's done on the second bake? Because they don't change color a ton, it doesn't look like. Yeah. Well, so the thing, yeah, interestingly, uh, the first day I did it, when I pulled them out, when they came to room temperature, I could tell if they were crispy or not. And they were crispy. But then the recipe asks you to put them in a uh, Tupperware. And then when I did that, they were no longer crispy. So, oh. so I might try baking them longer next time. But I baked them actually five minutes longer than the recipe had called for. Called for like 15 minutes on one side and then five to 10 minutes on the other side. And I did 15 minutes on one side and 15 on the other. So mm. I went like, yeah, five minutes outside that window, which proportionally felt like a lot. And I was kind of like, well, this has got to be it. This has got to be it. But so next time I'll, I'll let, him, let him hang out for longer. I'll probably go like 18, 18 and see. It's probably not accounting for how humid your, oh, your yeah. environment is. Quite humid at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off earlier. What was, like, what was the consequence of the loaves not being precisely the same size? Uh, there wasn't really a consequence. It was hard to get the slices even. And I guess when I, when I watched the episode, I was like, oh my god, everyone's crackers are like so uniform. And this isn't the type of crack, this is a more rustic approach to crackers in general. But I feel like that's true of biscotti. That's true of, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. an inherent thing. Mm-hmm. And then it looks kind of nice on a cheese plate, I guess, for them to not be totally perfect. And actually, they're really delicious. Um, ugh, what's the circular cheese that's kind of soft and herby? Borson. Borson cheese. So good with Borson cheese. Also ate it with some aforementioned Gruyere and uh, some applewood smoked cheddar. They do, oh yeah, I, I could definitely see it going really well with applewood smoked cheddar. Um, they do look and sound like they would go really well with cheese, like all of the nuts and seeds and raisins within them, I think mm-hmm. would, it's, it, they're kind of a cheese plate all to themselves. Norman said something during the technical that I feel like applies here where he was, you know, cause the Mary's recipe says, make 18 Florentines like that and that was the challenge presented uh and he said you know if you're at home it wouldn't matter if you had ended up with 10 or 22 (laughs) you know like you just dole out what you feel like are good size Florentines but here it's like if they said 18 it's got to be 18 I was sorry I was thinking about you ending up with 72 rustic crackers (laughs) uh yeah I mean we're still eating them but they're good, though. They're good. I'm enjoying the savory bakes. I'm enjoying doing the savory bakes. And Will doesn't love the Rinko's crisps, but he said these were better than those. So. Oh, I think being told that yours is better than the store-bought version is the highest compliment. Like, that's what I always want people to say. Mm. My pumpkin spice syrup was not that well received. Oh, no. I gave it out to some people and, like... One person said they liked it, and there was sort of general silence other than that, so I felt like that's not a good sign. Oh, no. I thought I'm it sorry. tasted really good. I, I did think the pumpkin was a little weird, but I, I don't know. I thought it, JP liked it. He, was, he doesn't drink coffee, so he was just having it with steamed milk, and he thought it was awesome, so oh, there's that at least. That seems like a good application. I don't know. I can't weigh in on pumpkin spice. You also had the... You had the 
Well, you've just been experimenting with new recipes, and they're just some of them are just gonna fail, like the peppermint brownies. Yeah, these are my two holiday experiments: is pumpkin spice syrup and mint brownies. The mint brownies were horrible. They had this like a mint buttercream layer, um, like a layer of mint frosting. I think it's like the, the sugar did not dissolve perfectly and then there was too much peppermint and it was like a fresh new bottle of peppermint like the recipes oh. called for a teaspoon and a half of peppermint Whoa. extract oh my so, god so did you sent me a recipe you were thinking of doing that also called for a teaspoon and a half um that isn't that is yeah a lot that is a lot so that i cut it lot. i cut it down because i thought that was that sounds like way too much uh and it was still overwhelmed the whole brownie like like, I, I kept adding more and more chocolate because I was like, surely I can balance this out and it'll be okay. And it just, it couldn't be done. Like, there was nothing you could do. It was like I had smothered my brownies in toothpaste and there was nothing to, there was no way to fix them. Um, I had planned to, like, give them to people. But, you know, I, I, I know one person who actually, like, just went off of a gluten-free diet. Like, she sort of just discovered that she was able to integrate some gluten Ooh, back into her her diet and she exciting. was yeah she's super super excited and and then i i messaged later being like i can't let you use your like minimal gluten allowance on these toothpaste brownies oh no no <laughs> oh yeah that was um, very sad that was a complete fail of a christmas experiment it's such a thin layer of icing the peppermint part I cannot imagine even having the space for a t- for a teaspoon and a half of, huh? I'm gonna like use an eyedropper, because <laughs> I want to do this too. They look super cool, right? Like they, because they have the layer of brownie, the layer of frosting, and then like um, a chocolate layer, and then crumbled candy canes on top. They look beautiful, but I don't know. I'm gonna follow your. I'm gonna. I'm following. I'm gonna follow your instructions take it easy and 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 i'll report back my sister made um like chocolate peppermint cupcakes where she instead put put the extract in the cake batter like in the cake part instead of in the icing parts she said they came out really really well um and she's like a pretty tough critic like i would believe her if she says they came out well uh so that made me feel like that may be the better way to go like i think there's something about mint in buttercream that is a bad idea like i think you want the mint in the chocolate you don't actually want the mint separated out i think that's what creates this toothpaste layer effect interesting okay i'm gonna think that through i visually i like the layer but maybe it doesn't matter because you'll have if you crumble candy canes on top anyway and then do maybe just a chocolate buttercream on top. I enjoy chocolate buttercream better than any other kind of buttercream anyway. Alrighty, we should move on. We're past Andrea's baking corner. Went to um, Kim's pantry and Andrea's lazy Susan at this point. So Yeah, earlier I was thinking like we need to have a Andrea and Kim's fancy cheese corner or something. Yes. <laughs> Alright, so the showstopper this week is a 3D biscuit steam scene. 3D biscuit scene. Um, stuff has to stand up in the scene. They have four hours to pull it together. Um, and the bakers take very differing approaches to this scene. Like there are a few of them that only use one kind of cookie and then there are a few of them that use a couple and a few that use like three. Am I wrong or have you said in other episodes that you hate the 3D biscuit challenge? I do hate the 3D biscuit challenge. Well, I feel like well, the idea of a scene, I would have absolutely no clue what to do. A structure I find like a more appealing 
challenge. However, um, I said I wasn't going to make a gingerbread house this year, but I did. But I just used, I used templates. So the thing about baking cookies to get them to stand up is that they generally have to be baked a little bit harder than normal. And I don't like the idea that you have to adjust the structure of a cookie for a structural reason and not like an eating reason. I see. You dislike favoring structure over taste. Yeah. Gotcha. I was watching this and I was just really sad because there's this gingerbread village thing in Seattle I really love and it's been canceled the last two years um and yeah and I just it made me sad I want to I want to go look at fun gingerbread houses Um, I like the idea I like the idea of doing like a gingerbread um village and then you sell tickets to it and then the tickets are sort of for like a free-for-all like (laughs) you go in you have like 15 minutes to look at the village and then it's like all right eat and everybody just descends (laughs) one year uh at the village there was a guy doing a chocolate sculpture like he was sculpting live while you were like going around looking at the gingerbread houses and like children were allowed to eat the shavings oh so it was just like a chocolate shaving free-for-all and like kids grabbing at the bottom (laughs) it was really it seemed really cute adorable Martha's ski village scene sounds exciting because she does a ski chalet, ski mountain, and a suspended chairlift. And she makes a coffee biscuit, a hot chocolate biscuit, and a mulled wine biscuit. So, like, things you get at those places. Remember last time, I think it was last season, that Howard made um, tea biscuits? This had the same vibe of, like, thinking about the connection between the flavors and the thing that she's building. Um, it doesn't, visually at the end, it's like not as great as one would hope, but she's also like 17 or 18 or something. The judges were very enthused about it. I agree. It was like a little less visually impressive than I was expecting. Um, but the judges really loved the creativity of that flavor integration. Uh, and I, and hers was the one I was the most excited about flavor wise. Like those just are three flavors I really like. I like the idea of coffee, hot chocolate and mulled wine. Um, I would love to eat those cookies. Louis, is his name Louis or Louis? They call him Louis, but his name is spelled L-U-I-S. So I we would say I think we would say it differently in North America than and his background is Spanish, but they all call him Louis. Okay. <laughs> he, so he also I think did a good job of integrating the flavor with his idea. Um, yeah. He had. Uh, the the like a scene with a dragon in it and then the dragon had like a like like spicy building heat chilies like integrated into the flavor and he he and richard both had these incredibly precise looking scenes you know like the Mm. the edges of their dough cuts were just so perfect and then the way they used um you know, like slits to make them fit interlock and then stand up. It just looks yeah. so neat and so precise and so well cut and so professional. Like they, they, the two of them, I think looked really great. Yeah, I agree. So Lewis, so he does George versus the dragon, King George, which is like the English flag has the cross of King George or St. George, eh, some kind of George. Anyway, this is like the, one of the founding myths of, I don't know, whatever, blah, blah. I don't think they talk about this during this challenge, or actually the first one for that matter, but chilling your dough after you cut it is like the way that you get the cookies to like not spread, and it's the way you get them to be precise and stuff like that. 
they don't show any of that, but I would assume that he had a nicely chilled dough. Another person who I thought had like a a well done bake was or some good ideas was Kate's like tea time family tea time scene. So she has people sitting on chairs at a table and she does something really smart with the people, which is like she when they're in the dough stage, she like puts the backs flat on a baking tin and then has like a ledge that she puts the like legs on so that they will sit on a chair later and I was just like oh that's so smart I never would have thought about that but I don't remember what her flavors are I, other than like she had like a lime cookie which is not related to tea at all <laughs> so I was like why aren't there Earl Grey cookies what's happening here but oh well I like the moment where Kate uh, said that she was baking an extra boy in case the legs broke off Um, the way she said it too it's just like I'm baking an extra boy the judges I feel like were really positive this episode which I assume means that everyone did really well but I feel like the judges seemed really excited by and large and they were eating with a lot of gusto and Mm. in general their criticisms were sort of mild like like Chetna had a really architecturally impressive one like they were very skeptical from the jump that that her design made any sense. Like she had, she made a carousel that had a very, very large roof. And she was explaining that it was held up by a single pillar in in the middle. Um, And, and the way she did it, it did have like triangle braces around that single Mm. pillar. Uh, But everyone, you know, really doubted that it was going to stand. And it was, it was like rock solid. Like it, it looked fantastic. Um, And it was a little bit overbaked, which I think makes sense, right? (laughs) Because for exactly the reasons you were talking about earlier, like, because that makes it more structurally sound. And so they did complain about that, but then they were like, but you know, the design is so spectacular. Jordan's, uh, you know, who of course did something in anime inspired uh, <laughs> with like a monster and buildings and he was going to have oh, a plane yeah. at a time. His looked very, very janky, very, very childish. Um, but the judges still told him the custard biscuits are delicious. The bourbon biscuits have this like wonderful, delicate flavor. Like they're, they're still like very positive. I still feel like sort of like everybody did pretty well with maybe the ex- exception of Enwezer, who they say his name differently every time they talk about him, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the thing that like gets harped on from the beginning is that he doesn't make his own fondant. Every time he says that, the camera like whips over to Mary, like scowling, <laughs> about it, uh, because she insists on, you know, everything should be homemade. Um, he also doesn't make uh, flat cookie sides that sort of like stand up structurally that way. He makes like a biscuit tower where, yeah, you know, biscuits are stacked up on top of each other. Um, and he makes a rocket ship, but he gets a little confused about the ordering of his biscuit sizes so that the shape that the shape is not like perfectly smooth. Um, he and Sue joke about it looking kind of more like a puffin than a rocket ship. Mm. Um, and then they end up being a little bit soft too like in they end up sort of looking like an american soft baked cookie when when paul is like bending them to demonstrate which is not acceptable in the definition of a biscuit yeah that's a bit of a bummer his isn't super appealing to me like eating it wise because i don't love fondant and it's a lot of fondant there's fondant between every layer it's it is a lot of fondant poor and weather um, and then let's see, what else do we have? Oh yeah, you know the other one that was disappointing was Norman's uh, boats. Yeah. He does kind of sharks in boats or something. He does a butter biscuit and then just uses food coloring to make like two different colors of dough, but they're the same flavor. So 
And then there's not a ton of decoration that happens. It's just a bit boring. Mary says it's essentially like the cracker he did in the first signature. Yeah. You know, with, and, and when I think about the recipe between, it's just like, yeah, it is. It's just like with a little more sugar and a hint of vanilla extract. Like other than that, he made essentially the same thing. Um, and yeah. that is disappointing for the showstopper. Like it was a chance for him to show off some other technique. Yeah. There's no showstopping happening. <laughs> the show's going on um you know who i thought did really well and doesn't like totally get all of the um kudos she deserves is diana um making her train thing paul gives her a little bit of a rough time because it's not as neat as it could have been but she makes twills she makes the uh engine part of the biscuit like she wraps it around a tin to bake it so that it is like perfectly circular. She makes pinwheel biscuits for the wheels. I think her idea was really great. Like I think she did a good job. That wasn't my impression at all. I thought the judges loved it. Like like Paul says the oh. that it's not as neat as it could be kind of at the end offhandedly, but they like heap praise on her for making so many dis- different biscuits and they like point out all those techniques that you mentioned and are sort of very excited about it, I thought. Like, I thought they were... They liked it more than I did, sort of. <laughs> like, uh, I, I sort of agreed in the abstract, I guess, but I thought the finished product was one of the jankiest-looking ones. I would have said that hers and <laughs> hers and Jordan, I thought, like, they just didn't look as nice as the rest of them if you just saw them all sitting there. Um, even though, like, in the details, I agree, it's, like, technically impressive. But then I thought, like, the judges loved hers more or less, and I was, and I was surprised. So I think the way it starts off with Paul is he says, like, I do like it. Like, it's, I guess that might have colored the whole thing for me, because it just started off in a very Paul Hollywood compliment way, which is, like, like it pains him or takes a year off his life to give a compliment or something but but yeah I guess I was just imagining making hers and thinking like oh that's tricky I guess is essentially the thing and with the other ones even the ones where you slot them together I've done stuff more like that so I I know I could pull it off but I don't know if I could have pulled off Diana's is maybe why I find it impressive even if it is you know not quite it's it would be so hard to have it be perfect anyway i i do feel like we have seen people fail at what diana was trying to do more often you know like i feel like that baking a biscuit into a cylinder around a tin thing i feel like you see that go sideways on gbo more often than not i i think that every other time someone tries it on this show in general it fails yeah so good for her yeah um Oh, there's this moment where the camera cuts to Mary Berry watching Jordan work on his at a time when things are not going well. Her face is hilarious. I wondered if he caught that moment. She's just like, ah! And then she goes away. I liked when um, when things aren't going well and Sue asked him, like, what are, do you have any relaxation tips at home? Like, things you do to relax. And he says, baking well! Yeah. Which I did, I did relate to that sentence. Yeah. And then at the end, at the end, after all the tasting happens, there's this moment where it cuts, it's like, camera cuts to Norman. Norman's sad. Camera cuts to Diana. Diana's sad. Camera cuts to And was are sad also. Like, it's just like a parade of sadness. Although, I don't think anyone did 
you know, too terribly badly in this one again. No, I was thinking actually that this is exactly, this episode I really enjoyed and this is sort of the way I want it to always go. I kind of want everyone to do well, more or less, you know, and Mm. like, like everyone did great and kind of the weakest person went home. You know, I think that that's, that's the way I want things to be. I hate when it feels like bad luck or like when everyone does really badly or like a a solid proportion or a majority of people do badly. Mm. And then the air in the tent is just really like everyone is really depressed, you know, and everyone feels like they're barely hanging on. I, I think that that, this episode had the energy that is my favorite energy uh, on the show. Yeah. Well, it's also episode two of the season. So, yeah, typically it's the earlier episodes that get to have this energy. They ratchet up the, the heat. Yeah. But I, but like, I think crackers are really hard, right? I think having 11 bakers like ace the crackers like is amazing. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, oh, I guess we haven't really talked about Richard's match, which we probably should mention. Well, you mentioned, but he does a pirate scene and like kind of puzzles together all of his his pieces to become 3D. And uh, he does a peanut cookie. They call it a peanut cookie. And that struck me as weird until I realized that being North American, what I expected was a peanut butter cookie. And that is probably what he did. Um, and then he does gingerbread also. Now, what peanut butter and gingerbread have to do with pirates is another thing, but everything mm. <laughs> apparently looks and tastes beautiful. So they really look like they're enjoying eating his. Like it like while they're eating Richard's, they look like they forgot that they're supposed to be judging it. Like they're just mm. doing oh, no. <laughs> you know, like Yeah. So in the end, uh and Wezer goes home and Richard is starbaker. Yeah, it is sad. They And they mentioned that it is extremely close, like that they struggled a lot between him and Norman, um, that they felt like it was like razor thin and they really had to discuss it. Uh, and then they do tell Norman, you have to raise your game. Yeah, which my prediction for that is he's going to do something like too zany next week, but which yeah. is always what happens in this case. You know, so earlier in the episode, uh, Diana says uh, the, the young people like, they keep bringing these interesting flavors. It's making me realize that I am more traditional and simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then at the very end, uh, she says, gee whiz, is it going to be like this every week? It made me <laughs> want her to go home. I feel like she's not, she's not bringing the right energy to this competition. Like you, you do need to be innovative. You do need to bring new flavors. That's sort of the point. And if you're this exhausted at the end of week two, like you're not going to make it. I really like Inwezer and it, the moments where he's like baking with his kids are so adorable. And so I sort of wish that like Jordan and Diana went home first yeah. so I could like hang out with him longer. I but... agree. That's the way the cookie crumbles. He has four young kids, and when they showed them all grabbing at his ankles while he's baking, they were yeah. so cute. <laughs> I know. Oh, gosh. Well, any final thoughts? No, I just want to go eat a cookie now. I don't have any in my house, but I, I want one. I want more cheese and crackers, but we finished it <laughs> while I was watching this episode. All right. Um, 
this has been the rough puffs uh your hosts are andrew bennett and kim Fu. uh we both write books andrea's most recent is like a boy but not a boy a excellent essay collection uh and my next is lesser known monsters the 21st century a story collection you can pre-order now uh find us on twitter at rough puffs or on instagram at the rough puffs and uh, andrea has been posting their recipes and adaptations of other recipes that you can bake along with the show if you want Mm-hmm. And uh, good work, everyone, and apologies to those for whom it was more of a biscuit week. Is that a biscuit joke? Bis- no, biscuit, biscuit, but biscuit, oh. biscuit. Sorry, I don't know why pancake batter is on my brain.